spiritually, I know that I'm not lacking anything in terms of fulfilling a kavana and a shlifas by being a teacher. I would tell myself that this is the way Hashem made me. I'm meant to be doing this. This is my shlifas. Welcome to Homesick for Lubavitch, a podcast where we explore Lubavitch identity in the year 2023. My name is Ben Siafson, and I will be your host. Let's begin. Alrighty, so uh, we're live again with uh, Rabbi Shmuel Wagner. He's, uh, he's not going to let me call him rabbi, but he is a rabbi, and he's a malamid in um, Yeshivas. What's what's the name? Bar Shiva. Shiva Ocean Parkway. And um, I met Shmuel uh, probably a year and a half ago by now. Or two, is it two years already? No, it's about yeah. a half, year and a half. Yeah. It was two summers was ago. This past summer. A year plus ago. Yeah, a year plus ago, uh, we met for a video that we were shooting for Bani Elam, which I'm sure quite a few people listening to this podcast saw that video. A uh, very moving moment of Shmuel meeting Rabbi Bachner with his son who was born, was it two weeks or three weeks before? But three like, days. Three days before, <laughs> my God. Yeah, man, that was... That was a moment. That was that was a real moment. Um, yeah, and I've since uh, met met the rest of your family. I met your wife. I met your son, and uh, we've had some very interesting conversations. That you know, because of the the topic of the video that we were filming, was uh, you know the topic was 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 supposed to be and was about um, infertility and the struggle of infertility, but went into a very different direction or or a deeper level of that lies behind the struggle and fertility, which I found fascinating and very, very relevant to the subject of this podcast, which is Lubavitch identity and how we, how we, how it evolves and how we evolve with it. But, uh, so I asked him to come on this podcast to talk a little bit about both his journey and his, you know, his and their struggle with infertility and what they learned along the way and how it's affected them and shaped them and shaped their identity and, I'm sure the conversation will go some other interesting directions as well. Um, but, you know, why don't you describe a little bit, you know, who you are, where you grew up, and uh, what you're up to today. So I grew up in Toronto. Um, went to Yeshiva in Toronto, Sifta Zal, and you're in Artisral, Alitaira, Shlokas, Walter Bacher, classic system. Um, I actually started teaching right after... My official uh, time in yeshiva was over, meaning before I got married. Um, I got married during the first year that I was teaching. So I went for that to Kailo for a year. And then I went back to teaching and started teaching in Bob Chiba and Ocean Parkway. Even before you got married? No, before I got married, I taught in Marstown, later in Marstown. And I got married during the year, right before Pesach. So I f- didn't finish the year. I went, we moved to Karnites. So I went straight to Kailo. And that was, so started Kailo right after Pesach. So basically the next year, right before the summer was when I finished Kailo. And then that, that L I started teaching. What pulled you into teaching before you got married? I mean, you, did you get married at an older age? No, not particularly. So you started teaching earlier. It wasn't that you got married later. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what, what pulled you into teaching? I've been teaching, I mean, both my parents are teachers. My grandparents were teachers. It's definitely like, you know, officially in my DNA officially in my genes, that's for sure. But not obviously because anyone told me I have to be a teacher because my parents and grandparents were teachers. I always felt since I even, since like I was in, I mean, I do have a memory from 
fourth grade, fifth, fifth grade, where um, I taught a paragraph of Navi to the rest of my class because the um, right. teacher obviously saw that that was an opportunity and he was probably right. Um, so I definitely had something about that, about that since I was a kid. But uh, even like in Zal, before it's an official occupation, like, you know, running Mishmar or um, learning with like younger, like tutoring, I always had, I was always doing something. I remember when I was in Zal, I really, it was one year I really wanted to learn Rambam. And I realized that the only way I'm going to get myself to really learn Rambam is if I make a share. Mm-hmm. So I made a Rambam share for my fellow Zal Bakram. So there's definitely something about me that like, I know something very well and I give something over uh, i'm sorry i know something very well and i connect to something very well when i give it over mm-hmm. uh so when i was uh, el- uh shli- when i was a shliach i was uh was doing some teaching in some form in, in misifta when i was uh elter bucker in zal a drum counselor in zal i was also a teacher in the cater a substitute teacher and um yeah like it was very natural for me like it was it was a no like i, I don't know if i ever had to make a conscious decision like should I become a teacher or not? I think it was always like a matter of when's going to be my first official job, you know? So, um, talking about, about going to, going straight into teaching, you know, it's very interesting because I've had a number of conversations where, you know, the question is, you went into business, did you ever like, like, was it that you weren't going into shlichus and you were going to business? Did you first want to go into shlichus? I think it's an interesting question to ask in this regard as well was, it seems like you're pretty convinced that you're going to teaching. Was it ever like, no, no, I should go into into shlichus like more traditional Chabad shlichus? Or, um, I never imagined myself ending up in a Chabad house. Not that I never thought of it. I remember actually once when I was in Zal having a conversation with my shliach in yeshiva. Um, he was, you know, one of these like very lebedika guys, and today he's on shlichus, very popular, you know, very successful, and. We were having this conversation about shlichus, and I said, like, I cannot see myself ending up a rabbi in a Chabad house. Like, no way. And I explained to him why, a few different reasons. And he said, no, it's not true. Like, everyone has to go on shlichus. It's like, it's, um, it's what the rabbi wants. And even if it's into nature, and you're telling me what you think, like, I'm, like, you think, I, I'm telling you, Shmuel, I think about myself as a shliach, and I'm petrified. I'm looking, I don't believe him, like, for a second, I'm not in <laughs> fourth grade on Zal, like, you know, you're you're born to be a shliach, like, no doubt about it. I mean, again, I'm not judging, it. like, could be, indeed, deep down, like, he knows himself, and he had his concerns and worries, but, like, I, I never even thought that it would be possible, for, not possible, like, physically possible, but, like, emotionally possible, or why in the world would I ever go um, to become a, a shliach, the meaning in the Chabad house. At the same time, Two things. Number one is that I'm very aware of, first of all, yes, it's a big, hot topic. Teachers being shluchim, not being shluchim, especially in New York and Crown Heights. Kinos, every year, the the controversy arises again. And two things. Number one is that in terms of the um, the spirituality of it, I'm fully convinced. I don't need to be convinced that teachers are shluchim. When I meet my friends who are on Shlichus, my line to them is, "Yeah, don't worry. Every every Shlich is a teacher." Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, does it does it does it bother you on any level? Like, like, like you're like you didn't have the personality to go on Shlichus. Like, like if only I could have had it, I would like to go. And I basically, like, I am honest with myself, and I resign myself to being a teacher. Or it's like full on. No, this is what I'm meant to be doing. The latter. The latter. Never, never like thought you're good with it beyond good with it like and again both because 
um, spiritually, I know that I'm not lacking anything in terms of fulfilling a kavana and a shlichus by being a teacher. Um, you know, as teachers were, we learned the letters and the sikhs where the Rebbe's talking about teachers or two teachers and, you know, the famous story to Fritz Grebe that uh, he told the teacher that you're doing the Shem's work, Kamalam Eter, Alam Yisrael. Um, but then also physically because, like, even let's say if I wasn't uh, uh, a teacher and, you know, I ended up being a businessman and then I would tell myself that this is the way Hashem made me, I'm meant to be doing this, this is my shlichus, um, then it would be the same thing. So I don't know how I would feel in such a situation if my, like, darshviness would be my, like, would make me feel guilty that, no, I should get involved, I should be doing some sort of sitin or find the shliach that I could help. Maybe. I don't know what I would be in such a situation, but definitely with this situation, it's like both physically, this is how I'm, my nature is how I'm meant to be. And this is sparks on the talent that I was given. So therefore the shlichas that I have, and also spiritually, this is the shlichas. Mm. Also happens to be that I'm, I'm not into fluff at all. And <laughs> also part of my genes. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, like, you know, it's, it's all good and all well, all, what's the word? It's all, it's all fine and well. The things that you're saying, like, like I, I understand what you're saying, but we all know that when you were in yeshiva, this is not what this is not what they preach, right. right? This is not what you hear. So, like, like you were just so secure in it from the get go. Like, yeah, this is me. Like, you guys do your thing, talk about what you want. Like, go, you know, go full haranj lachas. But I know what I'm doing. It never like, it never got to you. Hundred percent, never got to me, and. Um, and I'm very vocal about that. Like even now, I, I do have a lot of friends who are teachers and still do have that either guilt or, um, a lot of my friends, a lot of teachers, again, especially in Karnayans, you know, there's hundreds of teachers between all the Moistis and the, again, specifically like every year by the Kinnas, it becomes a topic again that we're not invited to the Kinnas and the year that they invite us is just because they need to fill the seats in the corners, et cetera, et cetera, all the, all the talk and, you know, and, and, and some, and some people do feel like put down by it. Some of my friends, teachers do feel put down by it. Like what's going on? How come we're treated like second class? You know, right. you know, say for a shlokim, the Rebbe said, insisted that the teachers also be put in, right? All the, all the, all the, all the comments that, all the, right. like, you know, insert, uh, insert uh, your, your slogan here, you know, like, <laughs> so, um, and, and, and I, again, like when it comes up in conversation, I'm pretty vocal about it that like, what, what do you care? Really? Why do you care? So again, there's the, there's the people need support. People need, uh, people need to be recognized. People need to be acknowledged. And that's part of it. Like people feel like, how come we're not getting acknowledged in the, in this specific, you know, context of not being invited to the Knesset or whatever. And I get that people have that need. Um, but it, it definitely shouldn't be from like that. I need that to know that I'm doing the right thing. Right. You should be knowing that you're doing the right thing. We're we're living in a generation. I mean, this is entering like a whole topic about teaching. I don't know if that's where you want to go, but we're gonna go. We're, <laughs> we're just gonna go. We're Barksham in a generation where Kinoch has picked itself past that anyone who didn't have anything else to do became a teacher. And and what in what in what sense like that that, that people are recognizing that, that the teachers are recognizing that. What do you mean that that like two things? Number yeah. one is that you as a teach uh, uh, the school will not hire someone that just that is not qualified enough on a basic level and he's just being a teacher because he has nothing else to do or he's waiting for a new uh to open up or whatever so the schools will not hire them and number two the generation won't hire him which means he won't last 
Definitely not in Kern Heights uh, classroom. The right. it's it's tough to be a teacher. It's very tough to be a teacher. You're not going to last. It's a it's you have to be on your toes. You have to really know what you're doing. And again, obviously, there's new teachers and they and they pick it up and you know and we go to training and courses and all that. Right. But if if you're literally not tracked for it and you're literally just there because you you didn't find anything else and you're waiting for stuff, you're not going to last. So that's a good thing. Like this, the the generation has weeded out that option. Right. Well, what you're saying is we don't see any more teaching, both from the side of the teacher and from the side of the school, that like it's a means to another end, like an in-between, you know, right. like, like we just have to get through it to get to the other side. But to it's, get to the side or just because I, I have nothing else. Right. This is... Right. No, but the school, the school says like, we have to take this seriously. Like it's not, it's sure. not a joke. Sure. Like, it's not like, it's not like, a, you know, not that they thought it was a joke, but like, you know, whatever, it's not that important. We just have to kind of get 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 through it and you're saying it's no longer like that absolutely in the past uh i mean again it's like this is a known thing for anyone who's doing any sort of studies or whatever into what's going on in the Lubavitch and um and i'm saying in elementary school specifically and in the last 15 years or so whatever the official number is it's been picked up tremendously it's literally quality if you look at you know even the, the i'm saying both the big schools and like Tyra or other communities, large established communities, as well as the new small schools starting up all over. Quality people, quality Chinuch, quality agendas, goals, visions, like anyone who's in Chinuch now is passionate about being in Chinuch to one extent or another, is investing their time, their effort into it. Um, again, there's also the fact that there's like on a larger level, there's resources and courses and uh, training that I wasn't around 15, 20 years ago in that in this scene, but I don't think it existed those days. So the quality has been picked up. And again, my, my, going back, so my point is that anyone who's teaching now, you 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 want to be teaching. Of course, it's hard and you, you have those days and very often where you come home and like, why am I doing this? And But at the end of the day, you you know why you're doing it because this is, this is what you feel is important and you have a passion to pin up you see the 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 power of what you're doing, and again, both on a physical level because this is your talent, and on a spiritual level because you know this is your shlichus. How do how do how do teachers deal with the age-old problem of the just chronic inability to pay, like to pay what a teacher needs, what should be, what deserves, like because because you mentioned that you know people are going into it no longer for you know, just to get through and to kind of wait for a better opportunity. Like, this is the opportunity. How do teachers see it as the opportunity when um, it doesn't seem yet, or maybe I'm wrong about this, it doesn't seem yet that society, the community as a whole, actually puts their money where their mouth is when it comes to recognizing how important teachers are. Yeah, I mean, I think most people believe that teachers are very important, but when it comes to actually compensating teachers... Right and letting them live a respectable life, not a lavish life. We aren't there yet. So how how do you deal with that, or how do teachers deal with that? Uh, and yeah, like it, generally speaking, it's a struggle. It's a known struggle. Right. And you know, it, and it's one of the uh, you know reading articles that people put out, both by teachers, fellow teachers, as well as like you know, so to speak, professionals that are analyzing the system i think there's two main um complaints or two main issues challenges that teachers face that they always bring up is the money and the community support 
Um, and community support support also goes into like the principal's support and the parent support that's, you know, on a smaller scale, but generally speaking, community support. And yeah, so the, the, the simple answer is that it's a challenge for everyone. And, you know, some teachers are better at managing their money and they have, and they know what to do on the side and how to hustle and, um, depending obviously whatever any specific teacher's wife does for a living. Um, and some teachers are literally struggling month to month and, also, again, I think with the general resources and, and, and uh, training that goes into teachers, there's also, I, I don't know, I've only been officially teaching for six, seven years, so I don't know how long, I, don't, I can't contrast it to 10 years ago and 15 years ago, but there's a lot of programs for teachers that help them out when it comes to Yomtiv, um, there's bonuses from, from the school, but also from different organizations, global organizations, and then there's some gemachs that are open specifically for, specifically for teachers. So there is a little bit of attention given to that issue, and that's the more detailed answer, but it's a challenge, and it's part of, I mean, shluchim who have a chabad also have challenges, right. you know, with fundraising. and. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't asking it so much to be nosy. It was more like, it was more just to kind of emphasize that, you know, when you said that, that things have changed where school is more selective for a teacher and the job is more selective in the sense that you're not going to last if, if you're not good at it. it doesn't mean that somehow the job has now become this. People are, are you're saying that more qualified people are, are looking for this job and the job is more selective than it used to be, but it's not that the job is more lucrative than it used to be, right? It's not the people, people are People, more people or high, more highly qualified people are coming to it, not because necessarily it's paying a lot more. Maybe it's paying a little bit more, but it's not become like this lucrative job. It's for the cause. It's for the it's for the Indian, right? I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that that, that I understood that. Like it's, I mean, I'm pre, I was pretty sure that was the case, but I mean, like, we're ta we're talking here about we're talking here about a cause. Sure. We're talking about a cause. We're not talking here about like some career or some lucrative career that 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 hasn't changed and probably will never change. Sure, I, definitely. I mean, again, I wasn't around, but definitely from what everyone says, definitely teachers get paid better now than they did 15 years ago. Right. Um, there are some ISIS that were known not to pay or to be behind the payment and are now either better at it or completely good at it. But you're right. Comparing a teacher to any other trade now, you're not going into becoming you're not becoming a teacher to be to get to make money. No. Right. There are opportunities. There are opportunities for growth. And now, you know, teaching coaching, uh, uh, teaching teacher coaching is very popular. And, you know, you can make a, a decent parnasa from that. In other words, a, a professional teacher who's been teaching enough years and who knows what he's doing and can, knows how to present it and to, and to pass it on could make a little bit of a parnasa, extra parnasa from that. Um, but in the teaching itself, no, of course, you're not, right. you're not becoming a teacher to become rich. No, because I, I think what, well, let me just turn the light. I mean, the this isn't a podcast about teaching, but the reason the reason I'm the reason I'm talking about it is because what's interesting what you said is that more highly qualified people are looking to teach. Meaning there are people like yourself who are deciding, I'm not teaching because I'm 25 and I need to get a job and this is the most available to me. But this is what I want to do. You're saying that that's a trend where there are more people who want to do this. It's a new generation. You said of people that want to teach. Sure. And, and 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 that's despite the fact that that the job hasn't fundamentally become a easy job or a lucrative job, 
Right. So it's not like the job, the job, it's not that the job has changed. It's that the generation has changed. That's what I'm trying to get at. Sure. Right. Like, like, of course, the job has improved perhaps, and, and, there, and there's more awareness of what teachers are up against, and there's more support, incrementally more, and there's, there's, there's other resources, I understand. But, but fundamentally, this is, this is a tough job. And fundamentally, it's in terms of material rewards, it's still lacking in that, in that regard. And yet you're saying that there are more people in this generation um, who want to teach because they, because they want to, not because they need to, but because they want to. Sure. Why do, why do you think that is? So there's two elements and, and to it. Yeah. Second, let, me, let me add to the question. Are, are, we, are we talking about Lubavitch or in general? Like, like, what are you referring to? I don't know about in general. I'm not. Right. So you're referring to Lubavitch. Yeah, I'm just talking about, and, and again, even Lubavitch, I'm talking about what I see in Kern Heights, right. you know, guys I know younger, getting married, looking for their married, even like, okay. just like with me, but after they finish looking at us. No, that makes they're... sense. That's yeah. a world that you know. I just yeah, wanted to, sure. I wanted to make sure that like, we're talking about personal experience, not like, not general global experience, right. which I, which I find more interesting, frankly, <laughs> the personal experience. So, so why do you think Lubavitch teachers are, why do you think more people are choosing teaching today as opposed to falling into it by necessity? Well, what, what's happening? So there's one element, as I said before, that the system doesn't allow that for anymore. It doesn't allow people just fall in like, right. oh, I have nothing else to do, so let me teach. Right. It's, no, you're again, you're going to come in and both from the kids are going to tear you up in 50 seconds and, and the principal is not going to let you in in the first place. He's going to have an interview with you and he's going to see He's, you know, you're going to give a model lesson and very quickly, everyone's going to realize that this is not necessarily going to work out. Right. So that's first of all, it's just on a, on a, in a more, I guess. Right. But the reason many times they were taking teachers like that is because they didn't have anybody better coming. Like they, 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 they had no leverage, right? There was right. no one good coming. So they had to take any, any yachts who just fell into it. Right? So, right. so I think we have to get to the second reason. Exactly. So the second reason is, is obvious when you see the pat, when you see the, you know, the history, when you zoom in and go what happened in 30 and 40 30 40 years is that why where were all the qualified people going 30 years ago 40 years ago shluchas right, right? they're opening up a chabad house they're opening up a center they're going you know moving out and if you were you know siddish and you knew what you were saying and you knew how to give something over you were you were put on a plane somewhere on a one-way ticket <laughs> you know you were sent far away. If you were, if you were capable, yeah. I'm sent you away. Exactly. <laughs> it's not very nice. We're having this conversation in Crown Heights. There are a lot of good people that stayed in Crown Heights. Of course. But like, on a, on a, we're not picking on anyone specific, of course. And, right. I, and I wasn't there to even think of anyone specific. But, but a lot of capable as a concept. People, a lot of capable people were sent away. There's no question about it. A lot of people that could have contributed to the yeshivas, to the schools, were sent away. Question right. about it. There's another element to it, which I'm not... I'm not uh, uh, enough familiar with to be able to say. I'm just repeating something that someone who is a little more in on this told me that the one area of, you know, let's, you know, go, rewinding before we get back to where we are today. What was going on then, and again, I don't know the politics. I'm not one of these uh, inside people in Chabad that know exactly what was going on with who and what that. The one area of Chabad that the Rebbe, so to speak, did not have full control over was the yeshivas, was yeshivas, even in Kren Heights. I mean, I'll tell you, I've started to be his maised. We know that. And again, I'm not going into politics. I work in Lubavitch Yeshiva. Every day I walk by the Rashag's office. So, and, 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 and yeah, I'll say this. I actually go to the Rashag's uh, caver every time I go to the oil. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, uh, you know, 
So you feel a connection to the Rashad through your through your work on an employer on an even in an employer employee level. Yes, and a little bit learn reading about Rashad and hearing about Rashad and seeing what kind of life he lived and you know what he had to go through with his wife and his son and you know this, his strained family life and he had to kind of give away his family life to be a cost to the rabbi and you know uh, I, I had to put aside a lot of his ego to be a chassid for sure and i'm not and as much as i wasn't there in the in the mems i definitely was not there in the yud so i do not have any form of clue what was going on in yud Aleph and how the rashag really felt and if he was really a ibrigaben from the beginning i don't know and it really doesn't doesn't concern me like i said i'm not into the fluff um, but what we see as an outsider, I'm not, I don't, I'm not Rashag's, uh, uh, you know, psychoanalyst. What we see, what we see from Rashag's behavior was a tremendous chassid, tremendous right. chassid of the Rebbe. Right. So the fact that I work in his yeshiva, I literally walk by his office every day, multiple times a day, his old office and in Ocean Parkway. And also from seeing what he, what, what it means to be a chassid for him. Yeah. I feel, I do feel a connection to him. So again, I'm and, that, and that office is empty. No, it's used as uh, it's the Tzivus Hashem office. Right. Our, so okay. So yeah. it, you know that it used to be his office, but it's not like there's like it's a whole... it, it's 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 we make it. This is the Rashag's office. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. There's uh-huh. a sign on the door. This is the Rashag's office, and uh, inside the office, there's a picture of him sitting in his desk over there. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so, so you say, so you're saying that that back in the day, they didn't have control over. Yeah. You know? So again, so this is what I was told. Again, I'm not. I don't know this stuff enough to be able to say with a certainty. But I was told this by someone who knows that. If you analyze what was going on in Lubavitch and the in the Lamids and the Mems and even maybe the early nuns, the Rebbe was never like there was that opposition almost to give over the reins of Tino. Even in 770, what was going on to, with the Bakram to the Rebbe, the Rebbe would be able to say something and say this is what and, and then that's what happened. The Rebbe would snap his finger and sh- and people would move their families across the ocean, right? right? And 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 you know, and and then all other areas of the of the Chabad influence, meaning the Rebbe's influence. But somehow, Chinuch never, never became what it could be and what it should be and what the Rebbe wanted it to be until, what this person was telling me, until after Gimel Tamas. After Gimel Tamas. Now, not right away. Why not? Why not? Why didn't it happen before? Yeah. Again, so this is where politics would go in. And I don't, I, I'm not Wait, able to... So when the Rebbe was alive, he, he got in the way of Chinuch? That's what this person is saying? No. The he Rebbe wanted, got to the way He wanted Chinuch to be better. Yeah. And nobody was listening to him Correct. until after Gilmot Tamos. After Gilmot Tamos, whether we, we could uh, pinpoint it to conscious, like this happened, this happened, this happened, or maybe it was in the way he told to me was, you know, uh, that uh, after Gilmot Tamos, the Rebbe's effect was stronger. And all of a sudden, again, it didn't happen right away, but all of a sudden, the early Samachs and the late Samachs, and that's what we're talking about 15, 20 years ago, all of a sudden, Gilmot like totally shaped up, totally revamped. Again, I'm talking about at least in the elementaries where I where I work. And now we have solid, solid teaching, solid curriculum, solid teachers, solid principals, solid people involved in Right. So again, so part of it is that, that going back to what I started saying, that now the qualified people are not going moving out across because A, there's not enough positions. Anshlechus. And there's also a certain sense where people see how teaching is a shlichus right. and the spiritual element of it. Right. So fascinating. It I was mean, looked at as second-class shlichus, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. And still till today, people, a lot of people do still look at it like that. And this is what we were saying before. And my friends, some of my friends are still bugged about that. Right. But generally speaking, it's 
understood, at least in a begrudging way, that it's not a second class shlachas. That's fascinating. So, so, so interesting. I mean, like, first of all, I have to say it, it's refreshing to hear positive take on film. Like, you know, my wife was a teacher for, for many years. I've, you know, so through her, I've heard about teaching. And in general, there's always, you know, there's the, the maybe it's residing, like you're saying, maybe it's, maybe it's kind of, simmering down, but there's always been like a very pessimistic kind of take on Chinuch, you know, the schools are trash or the schools are, you know, there's, there's like these chronic issues that just like don't seem to go away. And it's nice to hear like a, you're not saying that everything is hunky-dory and everything's fixed, but you, you're optimistic about it. It's going in the right, it's trending in the right direction. And, and that's, you know, to hear someone inside, you're not just there for a year so that like you're kind of, you know, fresh and haven't yet suffered through it a little bit. If you, you've earned your stripes. And you're you're very hopeful about it, you know. I think that's fantastic. It's really fantastic to hear. I have to say, um, it's fantastic to hear. Um, you know, I'd, I'd also say that, you know, what you're talking about, that the last point that you mentioned about, about, you know, what happened after the Rebbe passed away. In some ways, you have to tread carefully here because, you know, you say it the wrong way and, and, and people rightfully or wrongfully get upset about it. But, like, there, you know, there, there's, there's this thing where, like, I mean, even think about it like this. When the Rebbe took people into Yechidus, there was only so many people that could come to him, right? Um, when, the, when the Rebbe stopped Yechidus and later on started doing dollars, a lot more people could come the Rebbe, right? In other words, by the Rebbe withdrawing, there's sometimes there was opportunities for other things to happen, right? Um, the same thing here, almost like the, there there is a possibility, like you said. I mean, what what else does Yatim mean that somehow uh, certain limitations that were there, you know, on a spiritual level, I'm not sure what it means, but like on a practical level, certain limitations that were there. You know, maybe because people felt that when the Rebbe was here, they had to be Ashliach for whatever reason. They wanted to be part of the kinnis. It was something that, that that they felt they needed to do. And then with time, they don't feel that. And so now Chinuch opens up. Maybe uh, maybe there's growth that happens through withdrawal. But I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit too too of a delicate topic to go on. I think I think another another way of approaching it is that. You know, what does it say in Chesedus? A lot of times it brings the things it's from a Gemara. I'm not sure where it comes from. That, you know, it takes a Talmud, it takes a Talmud 40 years to get to the his Rav's kind of perspective, what the Rav is thinking. It takes 40 years. And that's always used to demonstrate the 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 merchak, the distance between the Rav and the Talmud, right? The Rav right now sees something in this moment the Talmud doesn't see it, and now it's going to take him 40 years, in other words, more than half of his life, to, to, to understand what the Rav understands right now. That's 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 the distance that you have. Like, they're both sitting in the same room, and yet they're 40 years apart, right? Um, and, but, there, but in another sense, it's a very hopeful statement, because with time, if you track in that direction, you can get there. It's just going to take you a lot more time. I mean, there's another beautiful story that I once that I once heard where, like, I think it was a Marash or someone that, like, he was sitting on a porch or something, and and someone asked him about what's what's going to happen in the future, and he predicted correctly, maybe it was about a war or something, 
and he was proven to be right and the person came back and was all in his ball and they're just like what's what's the big deal like i i, I can see I, I, I sit higher so i can see further right there's a perspective difference here the rabbi saw something the other people didn't, the chassidim didn't see it and it took years for them to see what he was talking about the reason i bring that up is because you know in the moment the rabbi is talking about so many things and this is something that i've had i think i spoke to every about this and i've spoken to other people about this on the podcast off the podcast like one of the fundamental challenges of chassidim in general I mean, this is shmuel Munkus was talking about this back in the day right but back by about out already but but we see it very, very openly in this Dereshvi, um, which is the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's up here demanding X, and like, and, and then he demands Y, and he just keeps on saying this needs to be done, that needs to be done, and like, like it's way beyond the Chassidim's capacity. In fact, you, you, if you took all the Rebbe's Rebbe's and tried to fit, fit it into your day, you could be the most devoted person in the world. The physics of time will say this is impossible. So who's Rebbe talking to? To a wall? It's possible that you know the Rebbe's talking on the on with with the with the perspective and 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 the time frame that he has, right? What what he's seeing forty years down the road, in the moment your time does not does not have the space does not have the 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 the, the, the width to grasp or to handle what I was talking. But I was talking forty years down the road. He's not talking about right now. He's talking about forty years down the road. And so the same thing could be true about, let's say, Chinuch and Shlichus. Like, you know, my guess is if you come to the Rebbe Sichus on paper, you would see that the Rebbe was adamant that Shlichus should be a priority and Chinuch should be a priority and something else should be a priority. Like, everything should be a priority, right? But regular people, they can handle maybe one priority. If you're <laughs> the lucky two priorities, they can't handle all these priorities. So naturally, the Rebbe talks about all these things. Shlichus took the, everybody's attention. And that's where everybody went, right? That's what, in the moment, that's what they focused on. But with time, as, you know, our Bon Shinin, time goes by and people have time to kind of catch up with, with that perspective. It's like you're saying that suddenly, you know, it's, it's what is it? It's uh, 30 years after Gamaltamos, probably 40 years since I spoke about Chinuch, probably more. And people are beginning to say, wait a second, like, yeah, the Rebbe was right. Like, we see that, like, Shlichus needs to be a, a focus. And... Chinuch needs to be a focus, and frankly, if you don't have good chinuch, you're not going to have shluchas for twenty years. Right? I mean, shluchas is already suffering from the fact that chinuch was so overlooked for so many years. At some point, it catches up with you, and on many fronts, it has caught up with with shluchas. Right? Like, you know, there are many shluchas that will tell you that that they would be, they would have been much better served with a more solid, robust chinuch, and so it seems like people there are catching up with it. But it's a very interesting, and I'm going off quite a bit over here, but it's a very interesting way of looking at it because you, you brought up this idea of like the time lag, almost like a, like it takes years to catch up. It would seem that that's by design. Like a Rebbe and a Chassid are, by definition, like a Chassid is always catching up. You're like, And perhaps one of the reasons why, you know, you mentioned the idea of guilt and the idea of, you know, these kind of negative connotations very often get, somehow have wormed their way into, like, you know, a lot of the Bavitcher's conscience, you know, I'm not up to it, I'm not a guy, I'm a, I'm never a teacher, I'm not a shliach, like, if only, a lot of it could be because we feel like we always have to be up to date, like, we have to be marching in lockstep with what the Rebbe is saying, and it's like, how, how is that possible? 
he's at least 40 years ahead of you. Like, take it easy. Take it easy on yourself. Not not to relax, but like, like give yourself a break. You're a human being. You're catching up. It's all right. What do you think? Yeah, that's a, he knows a lot. Um, I went on a tangent. No, sorry. It's fine. Just uh, the put uh, everything you said. The I think the main point is that. Like I think we're I think we're both focusing on right now it's it's after Gimel Tamos. right now we're looking back at things that the Rebbe said and we're trying to to see how the Rebbe said it then and it means for now right right I think that's uh, right. I'm taking from what you said and and I think there's an element of it to that first of all like going back just to to pick on on, on how you said it before not pick on it to challenge it, but to, to focus on what you said before about like, you know, before there was Yekudis and now there's, and, and then there was only dollars. So it, even then before Gimel Thomas was already like a withdrawal, but at the same time that opened up the opportunity for so many people to meet the Rebbe. So I think like, let's say using that same thing for now that we're, we're after Gimel Thomas and you know, we're, we both grew up after Gimel Thomas. We're dealing with the whole specific reality of right. life and, and of Chassidus and of Rebbe. So, when you before Gimel Tamos, if you know if if this is what was happening and this is what the Rebbe said, then this is how it this is how it is, this is how it is. Now we're we're getting everything like with the with the context of reading the sukkah, learning the sukkah, seeing how the Rebbe said it, and then we have to like kind of like imagine ourselves there and imagine that the Rebbe is talking directly to us, and with that emuna. In other words, there's no there's no gosh mystic things getting in the way of a of a certain scene in a certain context and a certain like the Rebbe was talking to him and the Rebbe looked at him and the Rebbe said this. If we have the proper amuna in the words that the Rebbe said, right? So for example, let's say we're, we're, we know that we're told that when you go to the oil, it's your yichidus with the Rebbe. If we have that amuna, um, if we believe on that on that in that you know fundamental belief. And 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 we know that Yatir uh, Bichayui and the Rebbe is still with us. And when I stand by the Oyel, I'm having a chiddush just like somebody in the chafs and 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 the yuds and the chafs. So we have that opportunity without the limit of the of of you know having an appointment six months at three a.m. Right. So there is an element of you know if you want to call, you know going back to Yatir Bichayui in in a way that like we have a certain access to Eskashros. We have a certain like um, way of life that's available for us to live that we could tap into without needing to wait for the next sitha, without needing to wait for the next dollars, without needing to wait for the next opportunity to to right. physically present ourselves to the Rebbe and, and, and you know, in forms of dollars or yichidus or duk or yichidus calls, et cetera. Right. We, we have an open access. And again, it, it, takes, it takes a certain belief takes a certain belief that this is the way it is because we're told that this is the way it is even though we can't see it also, take, it also takes imagination it also takes imagination i mean this is i mean this is coming back full circle to what we were speaking about before the podcast began about the difference between a podcast and a video right all right i had a feeling we we're gonna get back to it, but like but like i think it's a great muscle where like a video you know when you watch something like when you watch something with your eyes like like it says, like makes it the 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 fact that you see it makes it like a reality right in front of you. 
And on one hand, that brings it very close to you. But on the other hand, it gives you no space, right? This is how it is. Like you said before, this is how it is. And that, that's, that's, you know, take it or leave it. And the, the downside with that is, you know, we always talk about the upside of something being bigash means like, you know, moksha's thing. The, the downside with it is, is that what we see with our eyes is very limited. And I'm not saying this like on a spiritual level, you have to open up your eyes. I'm talking like on a, on a crass physical level. It's been like our eyes see very little. And then what conveys to our brain is even less of what our eyes see, right? So, I mean, there have been tests that have shown that people will literally be watching a video and they'll be watching a ball or something bouncing on the screen. And they get so entranced by the ball that they don't notice that on the same video screen, a monkey just walked across. Like they don't notice what's literally in front of their eyes, right? And so, you think about it, like back in the day when, when, like you said, there was saying the Sikha Bigashmias and there was a setting, there was a Fabrengan and everything. Perhaps people were getting caught up with the setting and they saw, yeah, they saw the Rebbe and they saw what the Rebbe was saying, but they didn't, they, they, they saw what they saw, right? They didn't see everything the Rebbe was saying, right? They saw what they saw and what the Rebbe was saying. And by definition, like we were saying earlier, a Rebbe by definition is talking much bigger than what people are seeing. Right. So there's a limitation there, a severe limitation. Whereas today you're 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 talking you're you're going back to those sikhas and you're going back to those ideas that I was talking about with the perspective of time, of years that have passed and, and events that have occurred. And you're also you're not with the limitations of it being right in front of your face. You have to imagine it. Like you have to figure out what this means to you. It's up to you. It's up to nobody else. It's like listening to a podcast. You don't see the person in front of you. You kind of have to imagine who that person is. You kind of have to imagine what the room looks like, like what the ambience is like. But in some way, that pulls you in more because your active imagination brings you into it, right? You're not just a bystander. You're not just a you're not just a, a viewer of what's going on in front of you. You've 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 done something active to join in, right? Right. We're just coming from Rosh Hashanah. The whole idea of like the Shmaya of Kol Shefer, right? There, there's like this weird thing of like the act of listening, but it is an act. Right? Is it is it l'skay or is it l'shmaya? Right? And and l'shmaya is also something. So it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing, because it, there's always there's always such like a um, like a negative kind of connotation of you know like today you know the Rebbe isn't here, so you're automatically missing something. And of course you're missing something. And I'm not I'm not trying to go there and trying to paper it over. You know. It's for sure some something that used to be isn't anymore. But number one, until Mashiach comes, there's no reversing that. So at some point, what's the point of belaboring the issue? It is what it is. That's how I see it. But number two is there is something, and not a, and I think we we jump very often to like the ruchnistic thing, you know, yater chayoi, and like there's these ruchnistic ashboys and amshachis, and it gets very spiritual very quickly and. People feel like you're using buzzwords. Like, take, don't go there. Before you go there, I'm not saying that's not true, but before you get there, there's a possibility as well that, that uh, you know, that 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 there there are there there is a perspective, there's a widened perspective that people can have today, because they they've had time to think about it, and they've had time to see these things develop. And I think it's. I, I know I'm going a bit off, but that's because like my 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 mind is buzzing from it because the way you're describing how chinuch has changed, and how that might be, 
connected to the time that has elapsed. You know, so often people talk about the time that has elapsed since they've passed away. Oh, it's always a negative thing. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, but like, people see time. Forget about the fact. That I'm, I understand people are very sad they've passed away, but people see now time as a bad thing. Like. Oh my gosh, it's another year since school in Thomas. It's another year since school in Thomas. Like we're further and further away, right? Because my problem with that is like, you're not going back in time. So like, we're just going to be more and more bitter the rest of our life. More importantly, every year after Gimel Talmos is an opportunity for people to become more connected and to, to understand their bit better, right? Like every, not every year since Gimel Talmos, but every year further in our life, every year since the Rebbe said something, is another year of growth in that direction possible if you want, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe some people will get very upset for even suggesting <laughs> that. You don't. You, you, for I, sure, I, people get upset. That's that's a given. I, that's right. something we could always rely on. Right. There will always be an angry man, and then Rishmaimasaisa comes after. So I, I would say a few things. That first of all, the idea of, you know, that. We that we are missing something, and and that is an element to it. I think that's an important element to it. There's the famous mimer of Asam Shenu, that's Gimel Tamas mimer, and very very directly talks about the idea of Gimel Tamas, meaning in terms of what Gimel Tamas means for this generation. And the Rebbe talks about the Mayim Malka, which means that the the fact that we are separated needs to bother us, and we need to feel that separation and it's the feeling of separation that inspires the growth that the separation allows for yeah, yeah sure right. I, i'm not i'm not okay so I, I think that's important to emphasize that it's not like yeah, yeah we're, we're after going with Tomos, and that's the fact and stop uh stop complaining about it and that's not going to change right and i think there is an element that we do need to complain about it, and we do need to cry at masai and we do right fine i think that right that's said um but then like you said it's it's at the end of the day we're 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 heading in that direction of more and more times in Kimotamas. And more than just like, this is what it happens to be, I would say that this is actually how it's designed to be. This is how it's meant to be. This is exactly how it's meant to be, if this is how it is. So that means that we are given right. a certain so, life so, and a certain shlokas. So don't ever shaft the belt is what you're saying. Yeah, at the end of the day, yeah. So, yeah. The, uh, someone told me, the Friedrich Rebbe told someone that, the Eberstev with helping and Bizda Eberstev with helping with the Kaddish Baruch Hu and something like that. And otherwise, like, uh, like, yeah. It, it, however you slice it, exactly. However you slice it, God's there. Right. Say it in whatever language you could say it in Turkish or Greek, whatever works for you. But yeah, I come to the same conclusion. Exactly. So it's more than just like, okay, we're dealing with this. So how do we deal with this? It's not just we're dealing with this. We were meant to be exactly like this. So what does it mean now? And I think this is the whole idea of your podcast: the identity of Lubavitcher. It's not just like. Okay, we are in this like chaotic situation. Let's try to make some sort of like bidyevid out of it. No, this is the Lachatrila. There's the Lubavitcher of twenty twenty three. And what does that mean? Right. right? So Yeah, Bidyevid's a very is a very sad word when it becomes the way you live your life. Yeah. Right. Bidyevid is a backup plan. Exactly. It's not it's not a it's not a game plan. Like if you wake up in the morning, Bidyevid. <laughs> right. Problem. Yeah, saying if another b'diavad machmenit kein lachatchila, right? You can't make a seder out of b'diavad, right? So this, so we have to take it. This is our shlokas. This is our, our, our. I guess if you want to call it our part of darshvi, whatever. And uh, and and now, what does it mean for us, right? And again, especially when we're dealing with a bunch of people together that were all born or raised after Gimel Tamas, right. and we're we don't have any reference of like, oh, before it was like this, and now it's like that. We don't really know before. More like for us, you know. 
the Mims is pretty much the same as the Tzaddiks, you know, where the Friedrich Rebbe, in terms of we weren't there by both. Right. And one of them is one generation, like, you know, Klerishan, and the other one is Klisheni, or whatever, right. Klisheni and Klishlishi. But right. we both weren't there. We are right here. We were born in, you know, we were born and raised in the in post-Kimotamas. So what does it mean to be a Lubavitcher now? Well, there's an illusion of video. That's a whole different topic. There's not, that, that, that has always been seen as like a fundamental distinction, although... Even though I'm in the video space, I, I, I don't believe it's as big of a distinction as people make it. But So but, going back to what you said about Ria, Ria is very powerful. Right. Ria is very powerful. But if anyone would try to be a chassid just by virtue of that we have videos of the Rebbe, it obviously wouldn't be a very pneumistic uh, right. relationship. It wouldn't right. be a very, you know, if we wouldn't learn to say this ourselves, if we wouldn't do kitas from or whatever, you know, whatever the specific things as living as a chassid, if we would just rely on the fact that there are videos and pictures of the Rebbe, it wouldn't obviously be... A very holistic, very or very real, very deep. Probably because of what we were discussing earlier, which is it's somebody else, it's not you. No, vision on one hand is very powerful, but it's also very limiting. We always think about how powerful it is, but it's also very limiting. It it it, it clouds or it clouds what you what what you're taking in, and so especially like with a video of like a Fabrian, yeah, you're seeing there with talk, but are you really feeling what it's like to be a Fabrian? Are you picking up the atmosphere? To, to an extent, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I want to be clear. I'm not I'm not saying videos are a bad thing. I do it for a living. <laughs> I'm not anti-video. And, and and when it comes to that, I, I think it's probably a good thing that there are videos of the Rebbe's Fabrings. But I was just pointing out that like there is this idea where like the memes are closer to us because we have videos. And it, it's worth thinking about how much closer is it. Like And in a way, perhaps because we have videos, it's further from us on some level because we think we have it when we don't, whereas the other times we have to imagine. I don't know, it's an interesting kind of tangent to go on, but probably not for now. I did want to I did want to circle back a little bit. Um I, I know I'm a little bit responsible for the fact that we went in this direction a lot, although, you know, I personally I, I love when I come into a conversation thinking I'm gonna talk about one thing and, and kind of like something just grabs my attention. I'm like, I gotta talk about that. But uh it's not only about me. I think I think we can connect it though here, which is you know, you said a very interesting line earlier, which was, you know, born to be a shliach, born to be a teacher. Um, I think that's that's worth exploring, and I think that'll also bring us back a little bit to the conversation about infertility as well. Um, not that that has to be a whole topic, but I think Benegeli and Yoneinu, right? Um, you know, you spoke about, you, you said the words like, this this person was born to be a shliach, and, that, and I, I don't know if you said the words, but you were kind of indicated you were born to be a teacher. You know, that's a very interesting way of of seeing your identity because so much of the thinking that I got accustomed to in Yeshiva was like, what do you mean? Like, it's like, if, if the Rebbe wants it from you, then that's what you're going to do. Like, like, I mean, screw your, your uh, like, forget about your your own talents and your predispositions and what you're good at and what you're bad at. Like, you know, like, you have to be good at everything. Like, you... What do you mean that you're that you're better at you like Chassidus more than than Nigla, right? Like you can't say you have a favorite. Chassidus will say. I'm, I, I know I'm coming across a little bit sarcastic and cynical, but the Indian itself I, I respect. I mean the way it's the way it's sometimes thrown around lightly as if like it's a joke. I am cynical, like as if like it's a uh, sure like Chassidus will say. When when would you like me to start? Like as if it's like easy, right? But but there is this kind of lingo out there where like what do you mean you're born to be a shliach or not? To be a shliach, like you know, so how do you think that fits into 
how do you, like how do you square that square that thing where like this is who I am, the Teva, and then sometimes maybe it comes up against what I'm taught in yeshiva, like whatever wants her. Like let's say you weren't born to be a teacher, but let's say you were born to be a businessman. Like how would you reconcile those two things? There's um there's this concept that comes up in Tanya and it's a very fundamental idea about every person's particular shlichas, in particular avoida, is the lingo in Tanya. Avokma is the topic that Dalt Rebbe talks about, about like a person has this one mitzvah, or let's say this one avoida, that is his path. And from there, everything that he does in life gets elevated to Hashem through there. And how do you know which one's yours? How do you know what your how do you know what your shluchas is meant to be in life? How do you know? And again, using shluchas both in its literal sense, but also in its general sense about how do you know what your life is meant to be? And there's a there's two. Um, I, I actually heard this spelled out very clearly by Naftali Silberg in his Let's Talk Tanya podcast. Um, and when I was listening to it, like it, it it made so much sense. Like I was almost like saying it together with him, like it's exactly everything that I've always understood, but he spelled it out so clearly that on the one hand, exactly like you mentioned about a bachar, that we're told that, you know, break your teva, go against yourself, um, you know, uh, uh, going out of your teva, beyond your teva, that's on one end. On the other hand, I think specifically the Rebbe always focused on that you have to find your talents, you have to see what you're what you're good at, because, and this is very important, because the Rebbe looks at everything that happens in this world, the Rebbe's perspective in the world and life is that this is Hashem. This is Hashem happening right here. Right. Nothing in the world, the world doesn't exist outside of Hashem. You're talking essentially about Ashkacha Pratis. It's Ashkacha Pratis, but on a, on a super hyper level. Right. That it's not just like everything happens for a reason. It's also that when it's happening, what happens is exactly what Hashem put into place. In other words, There's not a only Hashem about that. Is that what you're referring to, or what? Okay, just go on. Okay. So the in other words, not just talk about this like way people sometimes use it. Like it's for a reason. It's not just that it's for a reason. If it's happening, that means that's that this is what's happening, and that's why the Rebbe's perspective. Let's say, in, in a side note, just to bring out this point that like. Someone's sick, and there's says, check your film and one in the world, right? The answer right. is because your physical life is a mirror of your spiritual life. So if there's something wrong in your physical life, means something wrong in your spiritual life, fix the spiritual, it will fix the physical. Our physical world is running on the same track as the spiritual world that we don't see, but it's equally as real. Right. So so going back, so so therefore, so there, I think Davka the Rebbe looks at the fact that you were born with a certain talent and says, if you were born with a certain talent, that means that this talent is, is godly. That means mm-hmm. that this is exactly what you're meant to be and therefore what you're meant to do with it. So the two ideas of how to know what your shlokas are, are, are number one. And again, Rabbi Silver expelled it, and Naftali Silver expelled it out like this. But it's so schmuck when you say it like this, that number one, what you're good at, what you're naturally good at. Number two, what's hard for you to do. And if those are not, sometimes those things are, are not the same, and sometimes they're specifically the same. Sometimes specifically what we're talented with is exactly what we find ourselves struggling to accomplish. And that's when, that's the sweet spot. That's exactly. Saying. And that's exactly what you're meant to focus on. So that that's, again, that's that's one element of it, which means that, so if I was born, meaning if my nature is to be able to explain something and I have a schmuck in that and I have a, and I have a passion in that. So and you have patience. And I have patience and whatever, right? Important part. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then I have a schluchus. I need to use that out. Right. I can't let that go to waste in the Rebbe's words all the time. Right. At the same time, 
if I know that I don't want to go on Vitzoyim, right? Let's say I don't like going on Vitzoyim. I just don't like, you know, going out and asking people for Jewish and and having to explain to someone, you know, that this is. Right. So I I have to know that that's also a very big part that's demanded for me. And and specifically because I have a, a challenge in that area, I know that it's important because the Yetzirah this, this is, is investing all his kaifas in, in, in stopping me from doing that. So again, so sometimes those two things will be different things. Like I have a passion in teaching and I have a challenge in going with Tzayim. So I have to know that going with Tzayim is very important for me. It does not mean that I should go with Tzayim my, the whole day. And that I should see, become I my... See what, I see what you're saying. Now, saying. another thing is that, again, sometimes those things actually work in tandem, which means that I have a passion in teaching, and also I'm have, I'm feeling a very strong challenge. Maybe not in becoming a teacher, like yeah, I became a teacher on set, but then like maybe I'm gonna have a strong challenge. I'm gonna witness, I'm gonna experience a very strong uh, roadblock in my teaching, and I have to know that that is because that is my shlichus, and the fact that it's my challenge, the fact that this is my talent, will also lend itself to it being a challenge for me. I so I love it. I love it. That that's that's one element of it. There's another, uh, that, that's one element of it, which is that, like, how do you know what your surface is meant to be? It's like, find what you're good at and also find what, where you're, where you're seeing a challenge in. Yeah, but I want to, I want to tie it back though. I want to tie it, uh, we'll get back to your second point. I want to tie it back though, because it's not just about like, how do you know? This is very important. It, it's a good, it's a good rubric to, or what would be the word? It's a good, it's a good heuristic to, like a rule of thumb to figure out, you know, like, what should you be doing if you're th thinking in terms of like, what does God want from me? Not just what do I want to do? But I think what you said right before that, and, I, and that's why I want to make sure that we emphasize it before we forget about it. Because the question was, how do you reconcile like this idea that, you know, if there ever, like there ever is demanding shlichas, but I want, I want to be a teacher. And what you're saying is, is no, no, those things are not in contradiction. There ever demanded shlichas, there ever also demanded people to use their talents. And like there are many stories, for example, where there would tell someone who wanted to go on shlichus, no, you stay, you know, so a Balchuva, let's say, who was going to be a professor, no, your shlichus to be a professor, your shlichus is to be here, right? That, that That's your mission. Now, none of us are going to get that kind of direct, you know, personal directive like those people got, right? Okay, depending on your belief system, maybe you can, but like not in the same way that those people got it, right? They're not going to tell you in the Echidus that this is your thing. That's not going to happen. Right. Whoever, whoever has that happening to them, should get the mezuzahs checked, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like in that sense, in that sense, it's changed. But what you're saying is fundamentally, Derbe's philosophy was not like there's one my way or the, like I'm not saying my habit, but that there's only one way. You know, there's right? And even if there was emphasizing shlichus as something that the Derbe should be doing, the generation should be doing that, even people that aren't full-time shlichus should 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 see their life as a shlichus of the Eibishter, right? But so what it goes back to what we're saying before: when you when you're limited and you can only you can only hear like one message at a time, the message that's resounding in everybody's ears at the time is shlichus, 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 shlichus. But if you take a step back and you have the time. The, and the distance of time to see, take a step back. And you see, the Rebbe was saying shlichus, he was also saying that people should use their talents. He was saying both, right? And so what you're saying is, is that today, when you perhaps don't have the ring of shlichus in your ear, like kind of overwhelming you and forcing you into it, you're like, wait a second. The Rebbe told me, the, the Rebbe didn't tell me, but the Rebbe, if, even if all I want to do is follow the Rebbe's directives, that's my entire decision-making process, 
it's clear to me that Zerbi didn't want me to waste my talents. Right? That was that was a number one rule by Zerbi. Don't waste your talents. Like people don't waste talents. Like you you you, you maximize your potential. And so what you're saying is a very interesting point that that Shlichus maybe was the message of the day, but but Zerbi was also saying not to waste your potential, not to waste your talent. And so in your case, that meant you had to be a teacher, correct? And um, the Rabbi Katzen, um, he put out, they, they had an interview from Jim, here's my story. And he said that when he, after he got married or whatever his specifics were, he wanted to know what he should do. And the rabbi told him to take a personality test. Really? Yes. And, and he's recorded saying the story. And, and it came based on the results, the rabbi said you should become a teacher. Based on, in other words, not the rabbi's like, roughness to a thing, but based on the results of, his, of Rabbi Katzen's, uh, what's called aptitude test. So based on these results, it means you should become a teacher. And he didn't want to be a teacher. I think he wanted, I don't, he didn't want to go on shlichus. I don't think that's what, that was the story. I think is he wanted to open up whatever said a profession. But the rabbi said, you should become a teacher. So there were absolutely, and this is back in the 60s probably, or whatever it was, you know, this is not uh, the Tushanayans. So, so there were absolutely always was this idea that the Rebbe focused on, on, on your talents. Now, the flip side is what usually we're used to hearing from those from that time is, and this is the second point, that, it, you know, we, in, when there's, when there's a, you know, if, if, there's, if there's a business and um, one day there's a fire, whatever, and the CEO is going to be there um, doing the same thing that the janitor is doing. And... The, and the and the janitor will have to make some sort of executive decision, just like the CEO, right? All hands on deck. All hands on deck. So that was the that was what was going on then. Right. It was all hands on deck. There was less people. There was less. Uh, there was there was less resources. And if if you had and you know you could look at the senior shluchim of today, and and you're like, what? He's a shliach in, in some yehopets. He should have been a, a you know forget the, the other. Uh, I forget the Lutfish terminology. He should have been a Gadol. He should have been a Rosh Hashiva in right. Kronites. He should have been this Rosh Hashiva 770. Instead, he's in Yehupitz convincing some ta- college kid to put on tefillin. Right. Right? But that's what was going on. That's what was needed then. Right. So it was all hands on deck. Nowadays, that's not the situation at all. Right. We have enough shluchim taking care of, of what they need to do. And we have enough teachers taking care of what they need to do. In other words, there's a position open that if you have a certain talent, if you have a certain aptitude, then you ha- you will probably have the ability to fill that position with, with in in a, in a shlichus mindset way, mm-hmm. and and again we could extend that conversation to businessmen. The same thing. I I can't. I'm not going to because I'm not a businessman and I don't know what it, life of a a, a Lubavitcher Yungaman you know in in today's day and age who wakes up and realizes he's not going on shlichus and he's ending up you know becoming a you know real estate agent or Amazon guy or whatever. And now what do I do to be a chassid? What do I do? I'm not going to go there because that's not my life. So I'm not going to speak for anyone else. Right. But definitely within, you know, the contrast of teaching and traditional shluchas, um, Chabad house, today is not the chafs. Today we don't need somebody to go put... Right. When the Rebbe, you, this is printed in the sikhas. When the Rebbe is talking about that it's a time of a fire, so we need everyone to go put out the fire. And that's why... Um, your your spiritual growth, staying in Kern Heights and continuing to learn in Kailo or whatever, cannot come at the cost of a yid putting on tefillin somewhere else in America. So that's why you have to go out to to go put on tefillin. 
that's what was going on then. It's literally what's going on. And that's what we see. We see, we look at the people that are the shluchim in these places and are like, what? That doesn't make sense. That's not their character. They, right. they should have been, saying just physically speaking from their character, they should have been in the Rosh Hashiv in 770, whatever. Now, yeah, so that's 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 another element of judging the the balance between going with your talents and going against your talents, which is questions also of what what's needed, what's needed in the grander scheme. Yeah, I mean, I love the I love that you brought up the metaphor of the fire because you think of it like you know when there's a fire, the firefighters go to the fire, but then at some point the fire either gets put out or gets under control, and then there's a fire somewhere else. And if the firemen said, "Oh no, no, we were sent out to only this fire, and this is where we're staying forever." You know, it's going to be destruction somewhere else, and and in some regard, that is what happened with Chinuch, right? Triaged. So, no, no, but but Chinuch for a while, like people were like, yeah, we understand that Chinuch, there's a fire in our own home, like Chinuch is burning, but but the Rebbe told us to focus on this fire, so we're going to let that fire burn, and we're just going to focus on the fire over there outside of Granites or outside of our community, and that's where our focus is going to be. And I think what you're saying now is people are realizing, no, no, the Rebbe told us to be firemen, put out fires, okay. In other words, put the fire comes before your life, meaning the fire comes before your comforts. When there's a fire, you don't say, no, no, well, there's no fire right here, so I'm just going to go put my feet up on the couch. I'm going to go put out the fire. I feel like I have a responsibility to somebody else to put out the fire, which is what a fireman does, right? And so for a while, the fire and the obvious fire was not so much, was not in Kranites, it was outside Kranites, it was in these foreign university campuses that were so foreign to, you know, Lubavitchers growing up in Crown Heights, but that's where the fire was. They went there. But then a fire came to Crown Heights. Everybody knows there was a fire, like there was a problem, a crisis in Crown Heights and in our own community because that's that's what happens. The fire never goes away forever. Just put it out. It goes somewhere else and then it comes back, right? Fire. The fire is always there. It's just a matter of patrolling it, right? There's always potential for, for fire. Right. And... And what you're saying, which I love the analogy of the fireman, I know they always spoke about it that way, but like, you know, the in a way what you're saying is that the firemen are realizing that that their job is to be firemen for other fires. There, there are other fires that are important. And I think it's important. I mean, I, I know you don't want to talk about businessmen, but I mean, I'm not a teacher, so I can speak a little bit more to that, although maybe I'm not a full-on businessman. But yeah, I mean, I think your logic, I'm not saying that, that you're, that I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I think your logic would extend to to businessmen as well, right? I think they're yeah. right. If if you're born with a with a certain uh, predisposition to run a business, and that's where you get your fire from, like that's where you feel right, and that's where that's where you're going to that that's where you kind of you can feel led to by just by who you are. There's a place for you too. I'm not saying it's equal to shlichus. Frankly, I don't care. It's exactly, that's not, not the lingo I talk. <laughs> I, I don't care. I mean, like whatever. It's not a. It's not a scoring contest. Exactly. But the the valuable point is that there's there's space for you too. There's space for you too as a businessman, in the Rebbe's kind of view of reality and and his constant reality. Even if let's say in the Mems or other years there was such a concentration on one thing the Rebbe was saying. When you zoom out. Over time, we've come to realize collectively, each, each, but also each person in their own way, that I can be a businessman, I can be a teacher, I can be something else. And there was talking for me too. I just had this conversation with with a businessman who was telling me when he was growing up, and he's on the podcast. I don't know if it's going to come out first, but you know, he was saying that you know 
when I was a bit when when I was younger, I felt that being a businessman was in opposition to what the Rebbe was saying. But as I've gotten older, I've realized now I can be a businessman and be a chassid. I can still follow the Rebbe's teachings and let the Rebbe inspire me. He's telling me beautiful stories of how he put on film with people at work. And, and, you know, it, it was it was as moving a story of putting on tefillin as any as, as a best shliach story I've ever heard, and and it was beautiful because it was like it, it was like something has developed here, and and, it, and it's nice to know that that there is there is it's nice to know that over time it's nice to have something positive. Or a positive way of looking at the time that has elapsed. You know, I was telling someone, I think, I don't think it was on my podcast, I was telling someone that, you know, one of the saddest emails I ever got was I had written by mistake 5770 instead of 5780. It was like, I was marketing something and I was like, you know, something available for the year 5770 when really it was a 5780. And someone wrote back to me, if only it was 5770, like it would be 10 years closer to before Gimel Talmos. And it was so sad for me to hear because like, you know, how can anybody possibly live in a situation happily where every day is sadder than the day before? You, 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 can't, you can't live that way. I'm sorry. There's no, there's no way to live that way. And it's nice to be able to hear from someone else. Because this isn't just in my head or in your head. You're talking about a, a, a culture in teaching and, and like an, an a actual reality in teaching where there's an upward trend and and people are and that upward trend is not in opposition to the time elapsing since Gamaltamas, but it's it's people that are finding their their place in the Rebbe's world, in the Rebbe's in the Rebbe's mission, with time more and more finding more and more people are finding their place in a more real way. I'm not trying to downplay anything. I'm not, it's not my goal here, but it's nice to have at least a positive, a positive view of it on some level. Something, something, a positive way of looking at the future. Let's say, like there's something to look forward to. We, people can become even more connected. People can find even more place in the Rebbe's world. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would switch it not to the future, but the present. It's always about, in, in my perspective, it's always about the present. If this is what's happening right now, then this is what we need to be dealing with right now. This is not Bidiyabed, like we said before. So, in, in, same thing, but not focusing on the past. You're, you're I guess, maybe a little more um, idealistic, dreamy, like, towards the future. And I'm, I'm coming from a place of, like, in the present, this is what is happening right now. That means that this is what Hashem wants to happen right now, and this is what we are going to deal with right now. This is our, our shlichus right now. So... But it's, yeah, it's exactly, it's the same point that there's, you know, you're talking about the, the, the businessman having his place and, and, you know, maybe, maybe in the past it wasn't marketed that way and it was, uh, was second class. It was, it was not, it was not, uh, the ideal and the lingo definitely has changed for sure that, uh, there's so much opportunity, you know, and it is important. It is important that everybody understands that wherever they are in life, this is the same um, Hashem's world, and this is the same Rebbe's world, and this is the same, uh, you know, uh, getting towards Mashiach with every added mitzvah. So whether your mitzvah is going to be as a shliach or as a teacher or as a businessman, this is all going. It's all going to the same place. It's all going to the same. Uh, it's all adding up to the same point. Right. At the end of the day, that's what we learn. Is that 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 there's there's a God in this world, and 
God permeates every aspect of the world. And from God's standpoint, everything is equal. Everything is permeated equally, right? Mm-hmm. And it equally, everything is permeated equally. And, you know, it seems like in some level, there, there's a similarity here with Lubavitch identity, with what the Rebbe wanted from, from Lubavitchers and the space and the place that there is for Lubavitchers that, you know, with time, the identity doesn't shrink, which is in many ways, I mean, there is a tendency for the identity to shrink. That there, there, I have seen, and something that has frustrated me, I'm going to be honest, is that it has felt to me that with time, the identity has become more absolutist and more fundamentalist, like you're either in or out. There's a kind of like, a defensive kind of tendency where like, like we have to kind of hunker down and like, you know, it's Paschal Talmud. We're not going to let any, any friction, like it's this way or, or, or nothing, right? It's, it's this or bust. There has been that tendency, but what you're talking about, what we're talking about here is the opposite, the opposite tendency where with time, there's room for more people and not because there has become relaxed and we're talking and we're, 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 we're relaxing the standards, but because we're people in their own ways are beginning to pick up on things that they've said that weren't picked up on before. Right. I was like, you know, yeah, I, I feel like I'm going on too much, but I, I, I don't usually talk so much on the podcast, but you really, you really tickled my brain tonight. I mean, it really gave me something to, to think about like a framework to think about it possibly. But I, I, I think, I think I've spoken enough. I, I do want to, I, I know time is running out, but I, I do want to, I don't want to make your story of infertility like a, a, a side point, but I know that it's something that, it deserves its own conversation. Uh, and maybe we'll have that conversation separately one day. But I, I do think, and as much as it's relevant to this conversation, I think it's worth bringing up, especially that people have, know that you're connected to it and people understand that people know you in relation to that. Many people know you in relation to that. You know, tell me a little bit, tell me a little bit about how the, your, your, your journey through infertility affected your Lubavitch identity in the sense that how you saw yourself. I think that's enough of a question. I think you know what, what, what to do with that. Yeah. Um, so I just want to, before, before I go into that, I just want to end the previous, uh, idea with one, I think very important thing, which also ties into the whole concept, which is that obviously everything is, um, with mashpia, you know, it's about deciding what your life's mission is and based on your ten, your net, your talents, but also at the same time, your challenges, everything is with mashpia. And it's not just because like, it's the Kassidish thing to do and the Rebbe told us to do it. I mean, yes. <laughs> But because it's so obvious that you can't decide these things by yourself, the reasons why the Rebbe told us about why it's so important to have Mishpia are so are so obvious that you can't you're blinded by your own bias, your own self bias, and only somebody else who obviously is close to you and obviously obviously is a role model to you that's who you're choosing as a Mishpia will be able to see past that bias and for your concern, he's concerned for you, so he'll be able to guide you and and, and show you you know through. So it's kind of obvious kind of cliche but i think it's super important to bring into that conversation and not just because like it has to be said because like you know i could get fired so to speak if i don't say that but also because i think that's also part of the same conversation which is that the rebbe gave us these guidance the the rebbe gave us these guidelines that's actually going to tie directly into what i'm going to answer but the rebbe gave us these these life um 
you know, uh, fundamental principles by which to operate in any situation that we are in. Right. So that kind of ties in. I mean, the, the, my, my journey through infertility was, um, obviously like, and like, I mean, everyone's journey is different, but they all share the same theme that it's very, very difficult on a physical level, on a psychological level, on an emotional level. Um, obviously you get into a spiritual level as well because you start having sphakus and you start having, you know, complaints to Hashem. So it also affects your spirituality, of course. How many years did you and your wife from after you get married, wait till you have five, a child? Five, five and a half. Five, five and a half, half years. Yeah. And you, you found out that you had a challenge, how long, one, like a year after? Even less, yeah. So you, it was four and a half years, essentially, that you knew that there was a problem. Yeah. Right? So that's a very, very long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. None I mean, of us who haven't gone through it can conceive how long four and a half years feels when you're waiting and just right, right. the ups and downs. Right. I mean, and obviously to some, you know, people that I know still are waiting sure. and longer, but yeah, sure. yeah, sure. Again, everyone's journey is hard. Everyone's journey is long and, and this is not just about infertility. Any challenge that any person faces is the hardest Right, but I, I was else's. saying that four and a half years is a very real amount of time. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So I just wanted to, okay, so, so, you're, so you were saying. So again, so those are the common things that any person's journey will have, um, the difficulties of it. And again, any form of difficulty. But what, what, what I had specifically was actually pretty um, calm in the sense that I, I always felt, I never, I never despaired. I never freaked out. I never like, um, you know, like felt that my life was, was not being able to be lived because of that, of that, of, because of infertility. So it's in two things. It's in one way, which is that like, I always managed to find value in my life. I always managed to find value in what I had. Um, and kind of exactly what we're talking about before about like, this is what Hashem is giving me right now. And I actually developed this line actually this, the way I'm saying it now, I only came up with after in the past year since I had a baby, but it kind of shows what I was always thinking. I don't, it's not that Hashem gave me infertility. I'm sorry. It's not that Hashem didn't give me a child. It's that Hashem gave me infertility. It's not that, or, you know, you could take that to any challenge. It's not that Hashem didn't give me money. Hashem gave me poverty. This is what Hashem is giving me right now. This is with a purpose. This is with a kavana. It's painful and we don't know why. And it's a tragedy. And again, you, you could extend this to any topic. It's and and but you're and, talking from personal experience, so of yeah, course, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm saying like you're talking, not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, preaching exactly. I'm I'm giving over my feelings and how I got and how I used to think to myself and the thoughts I used to for bring with myself. That this is what Hashem had in mind for me. So I'm gonna fundamentally believe. I'm gonna choose to believe that this is good for me. And I'm not saying this was my day in day out for for four and a half whatever for years straight. No, of course there's ups and downs, and of course. Sometimes I just, you know, don't believe anything and I don't want to believe anything and I just want, you know, nothing. And, um, and you know, that's, that's a down. But part of it also was being self-aware that this is a down. This is not really what I believe. I really fundamentally believe, and I'll get back to it tomorrow or in a week or in a month, that everything is for a purpose. So I'm not saying that I, I'm, I'm the strongest person in terms of Amuna and like, yeah, I never had a down and this is, a, no, but this is my core belief. So the days that I felt it, the days that I didn't feel it, my core belief is that this is what Hashem gives me. Everything from Hashem is good. And, and again, even to think about the challenge in that way, you know, philosophically, that even the challenge is what's being given to me. Not that the challenge is standing in the way of something else that I'm supposed to be having that I'm not getting. Um, and... 
so and 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 the reason why I had that, um, personally, because I had gone through challenges as a buffer. Um, I had gone through, you know, uh, just things in my, in my family, my extended family, um, where also there was challenges to my emuna as a buffer. And as a buffer, I had very very downs. I, I went through months and maybe you could say even a year and years of 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 challenging. Hashem and challenging life and Baruch Hashem, I was always in yeshiva and I was always from you know so to speak like I I never uh, you know dropped out of yeshiva and I never went through but uh, but internally internally in terms of beliefs and in terms of, uh, of 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 manning up to do the right thing no no there was times where I absolutely rejected everything and you know internally and 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 did not uh, and, and and challenged Hashem really challenged Hashem now of course you know looking back and obviously looking at it in a deeper level that itself shows that I had a very deep relationship with Hashem the whole time because I knew that it was about challenging Hashem fine that's 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 a that's a you know a, a axiom but uh, but but really like and 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 I and Baruch Hashem had a great support system both for my family and also Mashpia that I I used to speak hours with my Mashpia of of uh, and it was a Mashpia in Yeshiva like it was on the site. You know, I would go to his house at night and just for we would talk about a muna, just simple a muna, like wow. and and I th I really really think and again this is also self-referential that everything is from Hashem. It really gave me the the you know this is in my in my uh, developmental years as a buffer that now when I was in real life and was married and I had to also take care of my wife and also have to deal with you know have going into classroom at the same time and dealing with whatever other things are part of life. I had a certain core that was not going to essentially budge, which means, again, of course, there's downs. And right. the downs were very, very dark downs. But it, it, I, even the downs, I was able to recognize that they were downs. I never had to go through that, that real self-identity of who am I and what's the world about and all that. I mean, there's so many things you just said. I mean, first of all, I think the fact that you mentioned how, like, because you struggled with the Muna and Yeshiva within the framework of Yeshiva, with the Mashbia, who... You don't need to say who it is, but it was much clear that a you felt secure enough to confide, like that kind of doubt. You're talking about doubting in God, doubting in yeah. God's ways. You're talking about real crisis of faith, and you're 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 a comfortable to to open up to Mashbia about that. He's also comfortable enough to to go there, you know, and to talk about things that, you know, it's like you know, like we're not talking about like high levels of it of like so this guy we're talking about basics of judaism and he's comfortable to talk to you about that and and you know it could it could get the thorny places very quickly and he's helpful and and the fact that you had that in yeshiva prepared you for life it's it, it, you know in a way it's like almost you know god forbid that we should wish on bachram to go through tragedies when they're young but in some way how do we find a way for the yeshivas to spend time to talk to bachram about you say this of amuna when they're in yeshiva, like how many bachram come out of yeshiva and then, you know, if, if you're lucky, they know how to learn a mimer well and a dafkumar well, but when you challenge them on basic questions of faith, like how many people have come to me, they've gone through the full system and they come to me with like this novel insight, you know, how is it possible that, that, that good people suffer? Like as if that's like something that Yiddishkeit has never thought about before. You know, and, and I'm not saying that these people are, are stupid. To the contrary, very often very smart people. And they come to you with like basic philosophical questions that are very difficult questions to tackle. And it's not like I have answers to them. The whole point is that there are no answers. But the, 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 what's striking is how like, they're like, wow, there's this question. 
And it's like, this question has been asked by Moshe Rabbeinu. It's been asked by everybody. Everybody spoke about this, but it was never talked about in Yeshiva. Like, like because it was taken for granted, right? It's taken for granted. And, and, it's, and it's not something you take for granted. So I think that's number one, a very interesting thing. But it goes back to the Finna conversation yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, like, you have, when you're too busy with the fire over there, you forget about the fire over here. Sometimes you don't even realize that there's a fire, right? Like the fireman going to put out fire in someone else's home and then his fire home catches fire. It's hard. It's hard to be in both places at once. Um, but I, I think, I think you know, what's, what's also really interesting in what you said is that, is that you I just got caught away with that with that first point, but you you were also saying you were saying that when you were when when you were in yeshiva dealing with this with this crisis of faith, it, it prepared you to deal with with. You were talking about how you were having tinnitus to the Avister and a real crisis of faith, and I don't think it's important not to go into the exact nitty gritty of that. Everybody understands more or less what that is. I don't know if you want to go into it, but let's just take a face value of crisis of faith. What was your feeling? Was there a feeling towards the Rebbe at the time? Was there a feeling towards your Lubavitch identity at the time? The reason I'm asking that is not just because this is a podcast about Lubavitch identity, but because very often I've found that, like, for whatever reason, uh, Lubavitchers will be more comfortable questioning the Avengers, but then the Rebbe is, like, off limits. Yes. Um... The what what I remember, like trying to rem put myself back in those in those you know places, like you know, literally sitting in my Mishpia's house and having this conversation. The way I remember that the Rebbe would be part of that conversation would be because of an uh, almost philosophical or theological level. We know what the Rebbe tells us to think. We know how the Rebbe uh, allows us to think, so to speak, allows us to challenge, and at the same time has the emunapshuta. And Eibushter, like we all know, we've watched the videos of the sikhs, famous sikh of Ishanaraba, I think Memdala, whatever it is, you know, a few sikhs like this where the Rebbe like literally breaks down crying and and Admasai and and actually I was just talking about this recently in my classroom, I teach eighth grade, um, that no, like the Gullus bothered the Rebbe more than it bothered anyone else. Like you can never um, appreciate the negativity of Gullus more than the Rebbe. So... So the Rebbe goes from crying bitter tears and choking up and not being able to continue a sentence about the Gullus and then literally, and there's actually a pattern of this, that in those very sikhas, the Rebbe will switch after a few minutes to simcha and, and, uh, and add another mitzvah, you know, whatever specific wording. So that, that uh, paradox that the Rebbe presented to us and became part of our, our viewpoint of life growing up with these sikhs, growing up with, this, with, with these messages, that became, that was like almost like food for the, for the idea of challenging Hashem. For example, I remember but one... You never, you, never, you never felt out, that you were outside of that envelope too. I understand what you're saying. They right. kind of set a parameter within which you could challenge your amuna, but did you ever feel outside of that did you ever feel like like even that's not enough for me? Like I, that doesn't talk to me. So it not that it doesn't talk to me. No, um, I felt very empowered by like these messages that we're learning about the depths of our connection to Hashem. But at the same time, what's going on? But so so not that it didn't speak to me, but it confused 
it confused me. That was part of my confusion. For example, I remember very clearly like this one way of that the question was after Mumbai. And uh, Mumbai for me was 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 a disaster. That was literally at the same time as everything else going what? It was rough. It was it was rough because I was it was Sherbaz Masifta to, to that age, your hormones and whatever. And like this is whenever whatever else was going on in my life. And uh it it was it it, it took me a long time to to figure that out. Or not figure it out, but at least, you know, get past it, so to speak. And on a personal level. And um and I remember one way that I was that I expressed it to my Mashpia was that, you know, watching the videos of the the Vaya then, you know, Bashas Maisa, it was like so I, forget, I think it was Ashkenazi or Ashkenazi, whatever, one of the Rabbanim so one of the prestigious Shlukan Rabbanim, you know, it was not some Frayak or whatever. Yeah. And he was screaming, Lama Hashem, Lama. I mean, like I remember it. So like he was screaming. And then I remember I was, the way I voiced Mashpia was like, so you have Rabbi Ashkenazi, or like I think again, I think it was Rabbi Ashkenazi, screaming Lama Hashem Lama. And then I, the way I worded it to him was, and then you have Chaim Fogelman, um, soldiers do not question whatever, you know, uh, soldiers don't ask why, right? Chaim Fogelman's right. songs, you know, right. from post Gimel Tamas. And I remember like, so how does that work together? Now, again, this is not about Rabbi Astir between Rabbi Ashkenazi and Chaim Fogelman. This ideas, is, these are both ideas that exist in the Rebbe Sikhas. These are both right. valid ideas in in how to, uh, in how Ayyid operates. And that was basically my question. What, what, are we allowed to ask? Are we allowed to challenge? Are we not allowed to challenge? What's going on? So it all existed within the framework of the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's viewpoint to us. That was my identity. Like that was, my identity was that I'm growing up with what the Rebbe's telling me. I'm 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 actually viewing life very much aligned. I'm not questioning the Rebbe. I'm not, uh, and and it's interesting the way you said it. Like we have an easier time questioning Hashem than questioning the Rebbe. And yeah, in a way, that's part of the whole point of a Rebbe, right? The Rebbe is a bus of a dumb that we're able to relate to, and right. I think that's why we challenge the Rebbe less. Not because we're more afraid of the Rebbe, but because we're more comfortable with the Rebbe. We're more like I, I get the Rebbe, so to speak. I understand what the Rebbe is saying. Hashem, I don't get. I totally don't get. It's ridiculous. It's 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 it's. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to accept it right. because I have no basis to accept it. Right. By default, because right. I don't see Hashem, I don't feel Hashem, I don't hear Hashem, etc. Yeah, I, I think I think I think um, you know I, I I was I was I was worried to bring up the the infertility discussion given how long our conversation about the chinuch uh, went on. I didn't want to make it a side thing, but I think. In the end, it tied in very nicely, and it it really brought home your original and main the main point of this conversation, which is, you know, the the story of how your crisis of Amuna as a young bucher or you know young bucher how that helped you through your crisis through through infertility, um, just illustrated what you had been speaking about all this time before, which is. A, how important the chinuch is and how being a teacher and being there now for the next generation of boys and giving them the tools when they need it will empower them later on in life in ways that you cannot foretell, scenarios that you cannot foresee. And, and that's such a beautiful thing to think about. Um, and it, 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 also, it, also, it also illustrates, it also illustrates how, it, it illustrates to me again, yet again, this this message that has come out of this conversation, which is that with time we pick up on new messages. With time we pick up on 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 different spaces where we can where we can where we can fit in. And you know, like you said, 
this is not to diminish uh, perhaps the tragic nature of being a post-Gamal Thomas Chassid. I, no, I am not trying to suggest that this is a better situation, and I don't think anybody is. But, you know, we are human beings. We are living in this time. We were born into this time. Like you said, Hashem put us here. Nobody else did, right? And when you are when you go through infertility, you learn that very, very specifically, very acutely, which is that Hashem gives you the child, right? Hashem puts his child into this world. It's only up to him to put this child into this world, and therefore he put us into this world too, and he put us into this world at this time. And we have to live life with some kind of looking looking forward to the future. I'm not talking about in the future 10 years down the line. I'm talking about, I want tomorrow to be better than it is today. Present future. All right, yeah. I, want, I want tomorrow to be better than it is today. And I think everybody wants that. And we shouldn't feel that that's somehow at odds with being post-Gimel Thomas. We shouldn't feel that that's at odds with being in the Rebbe's tent, so to speak. And, I, you know, frankly, this to me, that was just such a beautiful message to hear from you today. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for for coming on and sharing that with us, with me, and with us. <laughs> All right, then, Mr. Uh, Shem, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, sure. Thank you. All right, man. Mark Simateva, good to meet you. Mark Simateva. The music for this podcast comes from the album Repentance Doors by Oren Sor Nadav Bachar and is used with their permission. 